like you to open it up over to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to go to chapter 5. Nevertheless, at thy word. You want a title tonight? Nevertheless, at thy word. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we will trust the Lord. We will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior to save us from hell for all eternity. And yet we have a hard time trusting him daily. It really, it sounds bizarre, doesn't it? That we're that way, but we are that way. As one man said, it's funny that we'll trust the Lord for escape from hell forever, and yet we won't trust him for a hamburger or something to eat. Well, that kind of brings it in perspective, but that's the human way. That's how we are. It's hard for us to live by faith at times. We live in a world that tempts us and that deceives us, not to mention the problems with our own hearts, so to speak. And I'm not talking about your pumping order or uh, your pumping organ. I'm talking about, of course, your innermost being, your core as a person. But the Bible says our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So we make rash decisions. We make emotional decisions. We live by impulse. We all do it. We choose not to believe God, even though we want to believe God oftentimes, but we choose not to. And in that, we fail to see the Lord work in amazing ways. And this is really what I want to drive home tonight. What can God be doing with me or with you some amazing things that he can accomplish, all right, if we just see as he does and then step out on faith as he does? In Luke chapter 5, we have a prime example of this. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. It's all the same body of water. It's a stunningly beautiful place, especially at sunrise and sunset, if you've ever been to Israel. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him, asked him if that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, this is, was probably acoustically perfect. There's something about being around water and speaking. And if you've ever been on the lake, you can hear people that are way out there because the sound carries. The Lord knew exactly, of course, what he was doing. But in verse 4, it says this. Now, when he had left speaking, he was done speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon, answering, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have caught nothing or have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now here in verse five, we see, I believe, the two sides of Peter. We see his flesh. I believe he is saved at this point. We see his flesh, his old nature, And then, and that's of course default for us oftentimes. And then we see his spirit on the other part of this verse, on the second part. So let's look at these. Number one, his flesh speaks in resistance. And this is the reaction part of him. This is what we do oftentimes. We hear a truth, we're challenged by something. And if what we are challenged about has deep roots in us, the first thing we usually do is react to it or blow it off, or criticize it as a concept. No, that's not for me. Well, I don't believe that. 
Or, no, I'm not that way. You see what I'm saying? Uh, That's the flesh that responds that way. We see that in the first part of verse 5. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Before we know what we're saying, the flesh takes over. How often our flesh is still a part of us in our decisions. But let us be understanding, folks, towards one another, especially when we say something to somebody or we do something and they have a knee-jerk reaction and they know it's wrong and we know it's wrong, okay? If they say, you know what, I'm really sorry I said that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have been that way or whatever. Receive it and let it go. Receive it? Oh, not a problem. Don't worry about it. Just for, you know, we all do things wrong or we all we all say things we shouldn't or, or whatever. Don't worry about it. And let it go. Why? Because they have a sin nature. We have a sin nature. Many times our flesh reacts before the spirit does. Everyone makes mistakes. And listen, you know this as well as I do. The flesh is ugly. Yet what's interesting about what Peter said was he was respectful to the Lord and the way he addressed him. The word here behind master, the word master is only used in Luke. Now, I came over that today and I was looking at that and I thought, you know, I don't have time to really dig into this the way I'd like, but why is it just, why is that the case? There's some reason for that, not to make a, you know, I mean, it's not, it doesn't have the level of importance as the deity of Christ or something like this, but why is master only used in Luke? I wonder if it was some sort of perspective under inspiration that, that Luke had with the Lord to put it down the way he did. But he was respectful to the Lord. It means master or chief or commander or overseer, the one who has the power to meet needs. Isn't that interesting? So he said, master, the first thing he said, master, and he says, listen, we've been out all night. We haven't caught anything. So he's respectful. Peter knew who the Lord was, yet Peter was still Peter, just like us. He still wrestled and battled his flesh. I'd say, why are you emphasizing this? Because of what he says here. Look what he says. Peter is saying, basically, essentially, you're the boss, but isn't it interesting? At the same time, he's saying, you may be the boss, but I'm not sure you know what you're saying. (laughs) Is that not true? Master... That's appropriate. We've been out all night. We haven't caught anything. Well, number one, didn't Jesus already know that? Right? His flesh was speaking up is what was going on. His flesh was speaking up. Do you ever find your flesh wanting to resist what you know the Lord wants you to do? The Holy Spirit says, give that person a track. And you say, well, not now. I'm in a hurry. Or the Holy Spirit says, you know your child has a rebellious attitude. You need to take care of it. And you think, it'll go away. Well, listen, it's not going to go away. You need to take care of it. But you see, there's these battles that we fight inside. Instead of believing what God says, instead of believing what the Holy Spirit says, we sometimes want to resist what God says, and we have a reaction to it. Or, you know, it might be even adjusting to challenging circumstances in life that we've never had to deal with before. God puts us in and says, oh, I can't can't handle that. Well, wait a minute. Who allowed this to come in? The Lord did. Are you his child? Yes. Does he love you? Yes. So before we say, I can't handle that, let's think in terms of, wait a minute, the Lord is in control. You know, there are some people, some Christians, they don't give at all financially. 
Even though they work, even though God saved them, they have a home, they have cars, they have family, they have food, they don't give. It's like, how can you not give financially with everything God has done for you? But you see, folks, that's the flesh. That's the flesh battling there. If God captures our hearts, you can't help but give to him. That's just the way it is. But there are people who don't. Or the Lord says, you know what? I want to use you. I have this area where I want to use you in ministry. And we say, yeah, but you don't understand. No way, he totally understands. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our strengths. He understands what it will cost us. He understands the adjustments involved. They had toiled all night. Look at that. So they didn't just, they weren't out there just having a party. They toiled, they worked, they worked hard all night. These are tired fishermen. By the way, these are professional fishermen. These are not guys who decide, let's take a few days and go up to Leech Lake. These are guys who, their livelihood depends on this. They had toiled all night. They knew that the time to fish was at night. It was their profession. Yet Peter says, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. That's his flesh. Here you go. Nevertheless, at thy word. There it is. The pivot point that makes all the difference. Nevertheless, at thy word. This leads us to our second issue. We saw his flesh, but number two, then his spirit speaks in obedience. Verse five, nevertheless, this is an important word of faith, but this is when everything can change in a life. Yes, we may see our shortcomings, but then we realize, wait a minute, I have the Lord. I have the Lord in me. The Holy Spirit lives within me. I have a new nature in Christ. I have the word of God. I have everything I need to do what God wants me to do, to change in ways God wants me to change. It is a word of choice. Nevertheless, is the word of choice to reject the first and cling to the second. Peter could have said, look, we're exhausted. If you want to try this another time, maybe we'll do that. But no, we're not going to do that. Now, that's not what he said. He said, we've, Master, we fished all night. We haven't caught anything, but nevertheless, we'll let down our nets. Lord, I know the situation is impossible, that it cannot change logically. Nevertheless, I'll do what you say. Folks, get ready when you say that. I can't see how you're going to work. I can't see how it's going to make any difference. But nevertheless, you've just confessed your flesh. If I say that, I've just confessed. My flesh has just confessed doubt. But then the pivot point is, nevertheless, I'll do what you say. He obeyed God. What he did, folks, is nothing more than obedient faith. Peter was not a giant of the faith. The Holy Spirit had not come yet, as far as permanent residence, receiving power, Acts chapter 2. God was working in his life. He was a believer, but he was a very young believer. He had doubts about it, but nevertheless, he did what the Lord said. He obeyed God. He had an obedient faith. And many times, it isn't until we obey that we see the miracle that God is speaking of. What was the result of this? We know, and we'll get back to the text in a minute. We know the result of this was an absolute miracle of God. Had he not obeyed God, he would not have seen the miracle, most likely. Now, keep that in mind. Had he not obeyed God, he would not have seen the miracle, 
most likely. Hold your place here and look with me to Hebrews chapter 11. How this perfectly fits in to this passage here in Luke chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 11. I think as Peter went on and walked with the Lord those three years, obviously his faith grew. At times he got better at it. At times he fell back into things and stuck his foot in his mouth and and said some things he shouldn't have and done some things he shouldn't have done. But nevertheless, he was learning just like we do. We still blow it, right? We still blow it at times. It can get ugly. But Hebrews 11.1 says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Think in terms of what Peter got when he obeyed God. The evidence of things not seen. Think of all the fish they brought up. The evidence of things not seen. Master, we've toiled all night. We haven't caught anything. We came up with nothing. Nevertheless, I'll do what you say. The evidence of things not seen, that's faith. Later on in his life, what did he do? He walked on water. It's pretty good. Yeah, but he sank. Yeah, but did anybody else get out to walk on the water? No, he was the only one who did. He's the only one who did. And he did walk on water, by the way. See, what we need to do is we need to step out on faith. He believed and he obeyed. You're in Hebrews 11. Jump down to verse 7. Imagine Noah. Noah. He had amazing and steadfast faith over all those decades of building the ark and preaching during those times and telling them judgment is coming. What is it, this thing, this monstrosity you're building? This is, this is crazy. Well, the, you know, rain is coming and a flood is coming and all this. They, I'm sure they absolutely thought he was a nut, but he kept on. He kept believing God Faith was the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God told him, look, this is what's going to take place. He believed what God said. He obeyed what God said. And of course, Noah and his family were the only ones saved when the flood came. How did he know a flood was coming? God said a flood was coming. God said it. Hebrews 11, or eleven seven. by faith Noah being warned of God. Look at this. Remember verse 1 here? evidence of things not seen. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. See, folks, there's a lot we don't see yet. All God's asking us to do is believe him and do what he said, and we will see what he has promised. He was moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Okay, let's go back to Luke chapter 5. Luke 5 in verse 5, and Simon answering him uh, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Verse 6, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. Wow. Make no mistake about it. It was a miracle. But folks, all based on, even though he struggled at first, he said, nevertheless, I'll do what you say. He wouldn't have seen all these fish had they not done what he said. Which leads us to our third point. The blessing came after he obeyed. 
The blessings came after he obeyed. Sometimes it is like we burst a hole into heaven and the blessings just start pouring down. Have you ever been the recipient of something like that? It's an amazing thing. It's one of those, you don't know it's coming. You know, we usually think of, oh, I wonder what this day holds, right? And we think in terms of, hmm, there's going to be challenges, maybe something negative, things are, I wonder what's not going to go right and all this kind of stuff. And then occasionally the Lord will bring a day into your life when it's like every single thing not only goes right, but goes abundantly right. And you think, what's going on? You know, oh, wait, let me just enjoy it while this is happening. I think this was one of those cases. God was trying to make a huge impression. The Lord is trying to make a huge impression on their minds, letting them know, listen, this can be your future. Now, I don't mean that in some weird Joel Osteen way, folks, because God doesn't promise worldly prosperity, but he does promise us the blessings, heavenly blessings, spiritual blessings that we can experience from him. Luke 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, isn't it interesting? It isn't just Simon. Oh, now it's Simon Peter. As scriptures go on, you see Peter as he grows, and later on in the New Testament, he's just Peter then. Occasionally, there's a Simon Peter reference in there, but it goes from Simon to then Simon Peter to then a lot more talking about Peter. I can't guarantee this. I can't prove this, but it almost seems like a progression of his growth as a believer, the way this goes through scripture. The blessings came after he obeyed. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's interesting. He went from master who is chief and boss. Now he's referring to him as Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of fishes which they had taken. By the way, our obedience affects other people and the blessings that come from that. Do you see it? While Peter was often impulsive, he was open and honest. He said, I am a sinful man. Lord, I have failed you. I have failed to believe what you say. His honesty and straightforwardness was, in my opinion, one reason why he was used so greatly, because he was transparent. He was honest with God. Didn't make excuses for his disobedience. That wasn't it. But he was honest with God. When he failed, he admitted it. This was a life lesson to learn. Peter did learn over time, but he had a lot of flub-ups along the way. Sound familiar? Just like we do at times. We have flub-ups. We blow it. We have to get ourselves in check. We have to stop and confess our sin to the Lord and get right with him. Hold your place here and look with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Yes, 1 Peter, written by, you guessed it. You compare Luke (laughs) chapter 5 and other places in the Gospels where you see Peter doing things and saying things that are we would consider, oh, don't do, I can't believe it, he said that, and these kind of things. Yeah, you know what? We're probably the same way. But here we see in First Peter and Second Peter, we see this incredibly godly, mature believer who's being used and was used so greatly of God. First Peter 5, 5, he says this, same guy, same guy down the road though. He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. He gives grace 
to the humble. I believe he learned that through experience. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Folks, a big part of humility is simply believing God and then obeying his word. Okay, that's a humble person. Why? Because they're not listening to themselves. They're not listening to their flesh. That's not what's in control. The Holy Spirit's in control. We understand, you know, God knows what's best. I'm going to go with what he wants for me. And we make decisions based on that. Nevertheless, at thy word, that's really what it comes down to. And we see the blessings of that. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. What a couple verses those two are. When we understand that God is the God of miracles, it should not be difficult for us to obey him. I give you three applications tonight as we wrap up. The first one is this. All of us who are God's children have experienced his miracles. Now, before you as a believer have a knee-jerk reaction and say, I've never seen any of his miracles in my life. I only hear of them in other people's lives. Well, let me remind you, if you're saved, you have experienced the greatest of all miracles. Let me tell you something, folks. I would rather be saved than have two boatloads of fish. As great as that was, that's nothing compared to the new birth. The greatest of all miracles is the new birth. Now, if you are saved, you have every reason to follow Christ. He's done miracles in your life. He's done the greatest miracle in your life, in my life. Secondly, as believers, though, the Lord's blessing comes in doing his work. We see that very clearly in Luke chapter 5. The Lord's blessing comes in doing his work. I know some Christians, they'll complain, well, you know what? I never see God blessing in my life. Okay, well, that's not a good confession. One, either you're not noticing his blessings, or two, you're not walking in obedience. Because God's blessings, really, they should be abundant in our lives. Now, sometimes it's that we just aren't looking at them. We're out of fellowship and we're not thinking right and we're not seeing the blessings. We need to remember them. We need to go into the scriptures and let God renew our minds. But other times, if we're not seeing fruit in our lives as believers, question, are we walking in fellowship with him? Are we yielded? Are we surrendered? Are we obedient to his will? It's very clearly from Luke chapter 5, we see that principle. Not only that, it's a church age principle as well. I know some people say, well, that's not a church age principle. We've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Well, that's true, but you know what? You don't experience them. You don't experience them until you walk by faith. They're there. There's no question. I wouldn't disagree with that. Let me show you what I mean. Go to James chapter 1. The Lord's blessing comes in doing his work. This is the fruit of, the, of an obedient faith. 
his will before our own. Faithfulness to his cause, not our own. And this is where spiritual growth comes in. We see it over time. I'll show you how this fits in just a second here. James chapter 1 and verse 25. Well, verse James 1, let's look at verse 21. James 1, or verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Jump down to verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the scriptures, the law of liberty. That's not an oxymoron. It's God's law, it's God's truth, and what does it produce? Freedom. Not bondage, freedom. Walking by faith, obeying the word of God brings freedom into the life because it frees us from the domination of our old sin nature. And that's a good thing. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, continues in the word, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, result, this man shall be blessed in his deed. As we obey God's word, we will find blessing in that obedience. There will be blessing involved in that. By the way, not only now, but also at the judgment seat of Christ, if we do it with the right motives. So the Lord's blessings, these three applications. First, all of us who are God's children have experienced his miracles. Secondly, the Lord's blessing comes in doing his work, obeying him. In other words, obeying him. You know, Lord, I don't know if that'll work, but okay, Nevertheless, I'll do what you say. Damn. Wow. He did it. He did it. Which leads us to our last point, and it's this. The Lord's provision gave them confidence to go forward. Now, let's really get this. The Lord's provision gave them confidence to go forward. They would not have seen his provision had they not believed what he said and done what he said, when they saw the blessing of God, what did it do? It gave them confidence, motivation to go forward for Christ in the Christian life. One feeds the other. When we obey and walk by faith, we see the Lord come through and bless. When we see his blessings, it motivates us to be more obedient, which then we see more of the blessing of God. Listen, I'm not saying every day, you know, you get all the green lights through St. Cloud. I mean, that would be a miracle in itself. <laughs> Nothing goes wrong, you know. I'm not saying every day you live, it's going to be like playing a country western song backwards. Some of you know what I'm saying. Everything works out. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Sometimes God does bring difficulties into our lives. But folks, I'll tell you what, there is blessing from obedience, there's just no getting around it. We do reap what we sow. If, if you don't believe there's blessings in obedience, just take the law of sowing and reaping. There it is. It's very clear in Scripture. James makes it very clear. When we see him come through and bless, it motivates us to greater faithfulness. This is a call to discipleship. And that is what Jesus was saying to them. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You guys fish for a living? This is something you get. You can understand it. You understand there's work involved, yes. There's a principle involved. Listen, in the natural realm, how many fish would they have caught if they would have never thrown their net into the water on a regular day? Zero. Because you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. 
One man said this, discipleship is our opportunity to give our lives to significance rather than mediocrity. And that's true. Now, let me say this tonight, that we've been talking about the Christian life. I don't want any of you to think that I'm talking about, okay, you live this way and God will look on you with favor and you'll make it to heaven because of that. You're not saved by good works. You're not saved by living a Christian life. You're only saved through what Jesus did on the cross, okay? I think most of you have seen this before, but if you haven't, or maybe you forgot it, can I show it to you tonight? If, just to illustrate what I'm talking about through trusting Christ, what he did on the cross, this hand representing you and me and my wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners. We all have sin, all of us, including me. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin. Sin separates us from God. You can't get to heaven with even one sin. One sin will keep you out. Now, if that's true, and it is, because heaven's a perfect place, Revelation 21, 27, if that is true, then we've already blown it because we're all sinners. Therefore, no amount of good works will get you into heaven. Your sin has to be gone. The sin has to be paid for. And there's not one verse in the Bible that says good works pay for sin. Death is the only payment for sin. Yet God does not want us to die and spend forever in hell, suffering because of what we've done. So what did he do? He so loved us that he gave us his only begotten son. God in the flesh came. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He died for our sins so that we don't have to die for our sins. He paid for it so we don't have to pay for it. He was buried and he rose from the grave victoriously. And he says, if you simply put your faith in him that he did that for you, he will give you everlasting life. His verse right up here, for by grace are you saved through faith. You're saved by grace through faith. God's grace is his unmerited favor. Unmerited means you can't earn it. Can't earn it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The only way you can be saved is putting your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. If you trust in him, if you put your faith in him, the moment you do, he saves you. The payment he made is good on your behalf. All your sins are forgiven. They're sent away. And he gives you everlasting life. He gives you eternal life, home in heaven, as a gift. So if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you trust him as your Savior? The other stuff I covered tonight, that's for those who have already trusted Christ as Savior. There's a difference between salvation, going to heaven, and discipleship. Salvation costs us nothing. Discipleship costs us pretty much everything to follow the Lord as we should, okay? Now, you can go to heaven and not follow the Lord in the way you live because we all fail in that, right? Heaven's a free gift. It's not of works. But discipleship involves living for Jesus Christ by faith in the Lord. And so if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, salvation's free, cost you nothing. Jesus paid the price. When we talk about living for Christ, then we're, we're paying a price. But that is not something that gets you to heaven. Salvation is free. So trust Christ as your Savior if you haven't done that. 
Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.